Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast. I'm Alison Perry and you're listening to episode 40. guest on the podcast is Emma Cantrell, mum of two and someone who does brilliant things both in her day job and her spare time. Emma is chief executive of support for sick newborns and their parents at the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford, a charity which provides emotional and practical support to parents, provides life-saving equipment to the neonatal care unit and funds research to improve the lives of babies in the hospital's NCU. As if that wasn't enough, in her spare time, Emma runs First Days, a charity which provides equipment and clothing for families living in poverty. On the podcast, we chat about the work she does, what drove her to set up First Days, but we also talk about how it influences Emma's family life and how she raises her own children. Emma talks about the conversations that she has with her children, how she makes them aware of their own privilege and why the world is the way it is. So if you've been thinking about how to appropriately discuss issues like poverty, inequality, homelessness, politics and the issues in the world around us with your own children, then Emma has some really great thoughts. So I'm here with Emma. Hello, Emma. Hello. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what family life, what motherhood means to you. A little bit about myself. Well, um, I don't know what to tell you. I'm 32. I live in Wokingham in Berkshire. I've always lived in Berkshire, apart from when I was at uni in London. So um, always in the southeast. I had my first child, Joni, when I was 24. And my second, a year, year and a half later, Wilbur. Um, so I felt like I was quite a young mum, although not in the context of my family because they had babies in their teens. That's like right. the thing. So um, my mum and grandmother. So, yeah, I felt quite old compared to them. But um, looking back now, I feel like I was just a baby myself. Um, so, yeah, I am divorced, got divorced three years ago, I think. Um, and... We co-parent in the absolute purest sense of the word. The kids are 50-50 with us uh, each. We live around the corner from each other. 
all decisions are mutual we've split tasks in a way that I think married couples would be quite envious of like he deals with all birthday party RSVPs gifts everything you are kidding no and he actually likes taking them to the birthday parties that's the dream yeah so you know and I buy the school uniforms or whatever um but all the costs are split it's like it's a pretty like I wouldn't ever refer to myself as a single mum because I just do not feel like I'm doing it on my own yeah um you make it sound really appealing. I think I might, I might get divorced <laughs> just so I can outsource parties. Yeah, literally, it is. And it's great because um, we don't argue about anything because we don't live with each other. So actually, um, it works really well at the moment. It could get complicated. If the kids, when they're teenagers, want to live in one place because that's where the PlayStation is or something, then that could cause some problems. But well, who knows? We'll Deal with that, that later. When we come to it. So your kids are seven and five, is yeah. that correct? And yeah. do you feel like it's quite a nice place to be having a seven and a five year old? I've been told this is the golden age of parenting because they are still like in love with you. They still think you're the best thing that's ever happened in the whole world. Um, but they're like self sufficient. So like Wilbur doesn't sleep. He's never slept. Um, well, I mean, for the first I reckon it was three years of his life. He woke up every 45 minutes to an hour and he would be like, at best he would just be talking to himself and at worst he would just be screaming. It was like, yeah, um, relentless. So um, he now still gets up. If it's five o'clock, you're lucky. It's normally between four and five. But he now can um, come into the living room play with lego and make his own breakfast so yeah i don't i mean he comes and annoys me a bit look at this lego i've spilt cocoa pops on the floor whatever but he you know generally he also eats like a lot of food in the morning so i have to be careful of what's like in reaching distance what's available yeah but um so that's like great so i do feel like women are really this summer's been fantastic because i mean i took them to this um paddling pool nearby and i just sat there and read a book and they played which was just that's one of those moments that you maybe four years ago probably couldn't even imagine would be a reality no and I probably wouldn't have taken them because I'd have been so scared of them drowning like you know or me having to just be that exhausted screamy mum yeah yeah it would have so yeah it is I I feel like I'm in like the good zone before teenage before the hormones hit yeah exactly yeah I'm, I'm kind of terrified about that because I've got a friend who's a little girl who's seven about to turn eight um, has already started showing kind of signs mm. of slight hormonal changes mm. and shifts. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that so is just around the corner. Yeah. You know, just things like them maybe starting to have to wash more and wear deodorant and, mm. um, you know, like little sort of pimples and spots <gasps> sort of showing on their faces and no, things. it's too young. Mm, I know. It does make me think, though, like the passage of time, you know, people, people tell you when you have a baby, and it used to drive me... Absolutely. It makes me it used to make me really cross when people would say, Oh, it goes so fast. Oh, that really, really drives me mad. You'd be like, save a what? Save a being covered in vomit and not sleeping, no thanks. <laughs> but actually, you know, I think she's my daughter's um seven, which means that in an in the same amount of time she'll be fourteen. Yeah. And that's a bit terrifying yeah. because it doesn't feel like I've been doing this for seven years. I still feel clueless. It does go really quickly, but I would still like to say that those people who do stop you in the street and say cherish every moment or it goes so fast, mm. I would still quite like to punch them. Yeah. Because 
you know, it's so easy to look back with rose-tinted glasses exactly. and forget about the sleepless nights and the anxiety mm-hmm. and the relentless feeling oh, of it all. Definitely. And actually, you only need one night where your child vomits all over their bed or wets the bed or something to take you straight back and, you know, remind you to never say that to anyone yes. ever again. Never, <laughs> never say that. Um, OK, so as well as being a mum of two, you um, your day job is the CEO of a charity, isn't it, that supports... Yes families on a hospital is it a NICU is that how you say it? Uh, yeah so people call them auto so that's a real American term is it okay. but um yeah I mean people call them it's called the newborn care unit in right. it's John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford so the charity supports parents um funds equipment on the unit it's a massive kind of 50 something bed cot unit um so that's my kind of job that pays the bills um and I do enjoy it it's like it's a good job and it's it's a real um it was a really different thing to anything I've ever done before I worked in kind of drug and alcohol rehab and homelessness and it's kind of social problems and child poverty and then um this job is obviously very different um and I did for the first I reckon six weeks at least I just cried all the way home every day because Mm. it was just heartbreaking seeing families going through you know even even if their baby wasn't you know, desperately ill, just having to be in a hospital when you thought you would be at home. Even having worked for charities in the past, you still felt that this affected you in a, in a different way? Yeah, I'd, yes, definitely. However, I don't think there would be any point working for a charity if you didn't feel emotionally engaged at all times with the people who you're helping. I think if you lose that, then go and get a different job. That's interesting, though, because I... I would have thought you would have had to have almost hardened yourself to it. I think you... I I don't think you harden yourself. I think you learn things. When I worked in um, drug rehab, my job was going... A part of my job was going and um, auditing the services. And that involved talking to the people who were using the service. And um, when you talk to someone in rehab, they want to tell you their whole life story. So you get... you know, And it's fascinating. I just found it absolutely fascinating but you quickly learn what was true and what wasn't and what was part of their story that was serving where they were now and which bits they were probably missing out. And, you know, I, I remember I was very shocked one time I spent a whole day. They um, had this amazing project where they got all the um, people in the rehab out into the countryside in the Yorkshire Dales and they were building dry stone walls and all this stuff. And all these people who had never left a city and it was amazing I spent all day talking to this guy and then just at the end he dropped into conversation that he was looking to leave the rehab now but he's you know has problems finding a house because he's got this specific um conviction and he mentioned the name of the conviction and I knew that that meant either what it was it meant a very very serious crime and you think wow okay that's something that you didn't disclose until the end of the day, yeah, you know, and it yeah. wouldn't, I, I don't, I'd like to think it wouldn't have changed how I interacted with him, but perhaps it would. Um, but so you, you learn to probably be a bit more, um, not cynical, but wise. And wary. Yeah, about mm. people and things. And you have to learn how to um, put strong boundaries around your engagement. And the hardest thing, I think, is knowing that you can't always help people you can't always fix things there's only so much you can do 
And that's really hard. I guess it must be a, li- be a little bit in that way, being a bit like being a doctor or a nurse. Yeah. And that everyone who comes through the doors, you can do your best, but you can't you can't save everybody, you can't help everybody. Exactly. And I think if you if you really if you've lived in that space where you thought that you could help everybody and save everybody or, or even wanted to, then you'd burn out so quickly. Mm. And then you should also go and get another job because it's too hard. So as well as all of that, yeah. which, you know, just doesn't sound like much at all, to be honest, Emma, I think you're probably <laughs> being quite lazy. Um, you also run another charity in your yeah. spare time, don't you? First Days. Yes. Tell me about that. Well, I um, started First Days five and a bit years ago. Um, it was... It it was an idea I'd had. I worked in children's services in um, London and I just knew that there were loads and loads of families who were really struggling. They didn't have a buggy, so it meant that they couldn't easily get their children down to the local park even, you know, couldn't leave their homes or they didn't have the they didn't have clothes, they didn't have all this stuff. And um I knew that there were lots of people who did have loads of stuff. You know, you hear of people all the time with a loft full of um things from their babies childhood and whatever and then there was a bit of research done locally um into single parents and that came back as well saying that there was these um loads and loads of families who were getting loads of support um emotionally and uh, with other elements of their life with housing and finance and things but they still there was no practical help so this was playing on my mind and I was kind of kept thinking it just needs a middleman someone to get the stuff from the people who have it to the people who need it and then um that research came out when Wilbur was 10 weeks old so Joni would have been about 22 months old and I thought oh I'll I'll write a little proposal I'll apply for a grant I've got time on my hands yes but who's going to give money to some random woman who some you know random 25 year old 26 year old who has an idea like come on and anyway, they did. <laughs> so I got this email like, congratulations, your funding has been approved. I was like, oh, now I have to do it. <laughs> so I sat there with, you know, um, a cluster feeding um, baby who didn't sleep. And every night with a laptop, like building a website and trying to be writing all these governing documents, trying to work out Googling, how do you start a charity? And, you know, literally, I didn't know. But um, it just... I mean, I pressed go on the Facebook page and it just grew. Like, the local press were on it immediately. Mm. And then I just found myself driving around with this... I think Joni was going to her granny's house a couple of days a week and I found myself driving around with this little three-month-old baby kind of going into meetings with these people who worked in the local authority and um, MPs and things with this baby and then um, going and filling up my car with people's stuff and then dropping it off at people's... And it was just... It just spiralled and grew and grew and grew. Um, And then about two years later we had enough money to employ our first member of staff. And that was great because I was at a point where um, I couldn't afford to work for the charity because I needed um, more money to pay my bills. Yeah, so I I got to a point where I needed to go and get a job in a, another charity. I mean, another charity because that's my kind of where my strengths are. Yeah. So, and then we, we, we could employ someone. Um, and then it had another step in growing um so yeah five years later we employ I'm gonna say 11 members of staff have about 50 regular volunteers and help I think I just counted in the last year it was just over 1600 families 
in the local area. It's incredible. And that goes from being things like um, if they need a sling or a buggy or a cot to needing everything for a new baby, um, school uniforms, winter coats, wellies, you know, you name it, anything for a child age 0 to 8, but now actually up to 18 for school uniform. Oh, wow, brilliant. Um, and, yeah, it's it's just been huge. And uh, it's amazing. It's, you know, and it's, it's grown a lot bigger than me, thankfully, <laughs> because, uh, you know, that would have been unsustainable but on it's my own. just incredible that you've taken that one idea and gradually built it and built it, and now yeah. it's helping so many people. It is. It's quite... I And, actually, I get so emotional every time I um, go to the um, warehouse and offices and I could you know if I don't kind of catch myself I could burst into tears every time I go there because it's just amazing you know the people who work there are incredible the volunteers are amazing and um, we get to help families at a point where I mean who wants to be in a position where they can't afford to to give their children everything they need Mm. it's just awful yeah and to actually be able to help people at that moment is just fantastic it's amazing so obviously you know with your day job and running first days um you know that must influence the way that you bring up your kids Mm. and the way that you parent and the conversations that you're having with them how would you say that kind of influences everyday life for you I think we're really lucky that um I feel like my children are fortunate to have this as part of their culture in how they're growing up. So um, it influences everything because they, I often have to take them places and do things. Um, So they want to know what we're doing and why. And it means that we can have really cool conversations um, about our privilege, about other people, um, about why the world is how it is. But I mean, I think just living it and living that example to them, I'm hoping will benefit them. I mean, maybe they'll all, maybe they'll both just become like corporate sellouts and you know, <laughs> work in the city. <laughs> yeah, work in the city and have this like do-gooding old mum <laughs> somewhere over there. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, no. No. It's um, well. I. I mean. I think it's. I think it's really important. I think. Um, I'm hoping. I'm raising. You know conscientious kids who are aware of the world around them I mean um I was really I had a real moment Joni was about three and um she'd been given I think it was her third birthday she'd been given new furniture for a doll's house and I um found this little carrier bag full of the old doll's house furniture by the in the porch I said to her and that's where people used to drop off stuff for first days I said to her what is this and she looked at me like I was crazy you know real like side eye and kind of sighed and said, it's for the other children, mummy, because I've got new stuff now, so Aww. I don't need this stuff, so that can go into their doll's house. Yeah. And I was like, wow, okay, at three, you know, she's got such an understanding. And that's not because I've, you know, that that actually wasn't because I'd spent a lot of time trying to explain inequality to a three-year-old. It's because she had just... She just picked it up. Picked it up. And also... Um, you know, I try and talk to them honestly, appropriately, but really honestly about why I'm doing what I'm doing or anything, actually. You know, where do babies come from? Well, I'm not going to tell them it's the stork. I'm not going to scare them. But, you know, it's it's important to... I think it's important just to be really honest. We've got a lot more stuff than other people have got. Therefore, we should help them. So how do you strike that balance then between being honest and not scaring them? Because I think a lot of people 
you know, are probably guilty of wrapping their kids in cotton wool to mm. a certain extent. And, you know, the whole stork thing, obviously, yeah. is one example. But also, um, you know, if they might see things about, like, terror attacks happening. Yeah. You know, um, if, if they're at primary school, older kids might mention things mm. to them. You know, how do you kind of keep them informed but not scare the living daylights out of them so that they're having mm. nightmares and... I think the most scary thing for children is... Um, worry and uncertainty so if they hear things which they will because we have a 24-hour news cycle um as adults people discuss things all the time which they can overhear as you say at school they might hear something kids turn facts into crazy crazy you know rumors so i think actually the most scary thing for children is anxiety and not knowing and hearing things and snippets of things Mm. so actually i think you can be you can talk to them in language they understand and be really honest about things without without scaring them. So, I mean, um, my kids heard on the radio about the Manchester bombing and obviously there were lots of children and, you know, Joni picked up that there were children who had been um, killed and I could see in her face that that was quite a scary thing. So we talked about why someone would do that, you know, um, and we... Uh, at a way that she could understand and then we talked about the likelihood of it happening which whilst it's horrendous is unlikely to happen you know very often and we talked about then what we can do to be you know better people in the world how can we what can we do in our actions in our life that can make the world a better place so you, you know trying to make things positive and keep them thinking in a positive way rather than being scared but actually I think their imagination could be the scariest place to be without facts. Mm, that's so true. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm not about politics because there's been mm. um, I've seen a few people recently being criticised for talking so openly to young children mm. about their political views. And I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, my parents were very much like, um, "We're not telling you um, who mm. we vote for." It was very much shrouded in secrecy, um, which now feels quite old-fashioned. Yeah. Um, and I know that you know I, for example, take my seven-year-old along to the polling station because yeah. her school's usually shut that day. Mm. Um, and I've probably had to explain to her at least four times what I'm doing, but yeah. she doesn't <laughs> quite retain the information. 
Um, but I'm aware that I probably don't talk to her enough about politics mm. and who these people are. She knows who Donald Trump is. Yeah. She knows what my opinion is of Donald Trump. Mm. I probably don't need to tell you what my opinion <laughs> is. Um, but yeah, um, how do you strike that balance there? It's, I, I think um, there's a couple of things. Firstly, if you are in a position where you get to choose whether you talk to your children about politics then um that's a really privileged position to be in so if you if you are in a position where you have the option to wrap your child in cotton wool and they need never know that some people are homeless and some people can't afford shoes and you know some people have a parent in prison and all of these things then that is a fantastic position to be in and actually with that privilege comes a huge responsibility to make your children aware of what's going on so i think firstly there's there's that but secondly i think it's i think it's so important you know everything is political and children need to understand the context of the world around them i was the same my parents i mean my dad still won't tell me who he votes for i think <laughs> that's now because he knows how upset i would be oh no don't <laughs> but, say that. yeah but um, oh. <laughs> i know but we don't yeah we don't really talk uh, about politics but um but actually I think I think now with with social media with the 24-hour news cycle with people talking more openly you know it's not a big secret anymore amongst our generation to be discussing who you vote for and why and what you believe about things children need to know my number one rule with my kids is that we talk about policies and not people so a great example was we were in the car and I was listening to Radio 4 and I was getting really cross and there was, I can't remember what it was, but it was something and I just said, I think I probably said something like, you know, something angry, like, oh, for goodness sake, you know, why can't they, blah, 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 blah. And um, Wilbur pipes up in the back, we hate Theresa May. And then Joni said, she should be killed. Oh. And I was like, <gasps> Right, and I actually, I genuinely um, pulled over the car and stopped. And I was like, right, okay. Here's the thing. Theresa May and the government have done things that I am not happy about, that I don't like and I think are bad, and they're causing awful things to happen to other people. And, I, you know, I, I think they have done very bad things, but they're not bad people and we don't want them to die. And we don't actually want anyone to die. So I had to, you know, I had to really dial it back. And I thought, well, that that kind of vitriol has come from me. There's no one else they've got that from. You know, there's no one else in our lives who is talks this passionately about politics as much as possible. So I had to really check myself and be like, right... They've interpreted my anger as we need to cause people harm. So what I am really keen on is talking about policies and not people. So we can say, right, you know, the introduction of universal credit has caused people to be pushed further into poverty and put more people in poverty. It means a heavier reliance on food banks, less likely to get housing, etc., etc., etc. That is bad and it's caused people harm. And the people in government who have allowed that to happen have done a bad thing. But I genuinely believe they're not bad people. And that is one of my values, you know, that people can do bad things 
and they're not bad people. That's very controversial, I know. But I worked in rehabilitation. I've seen people have their lives turn around, mm. you know. Um, it's So I think policies, not people, is the absolute, my golden rule with my kids. That's really, really clever because you can understand how kids would, they're very simplistic in their view and they're, you know, they watch cartoons where there's a goodie and a baddie yeah. and that's how they kind of view the world. And exactly. so if mum is talking about you know, how frustrated and angry she is mm. with something that she's listening to on the news, then automatically they translate that into, oh, that's Theresa May, she's the baddie. Yeah, exactly. So that's really that's really clever of you to kind of try and get that distinction. But I think that's how we should... I think that's how, you know, if you read any parenting book, that's how they say you should... You know, you don't ever say your child, you are naughty, that you've done a naughty thing, or yeah. you've done a, you know... I, th- I think you can translate that to how you speak to them about the world around them as well definitely do you think that they seem to be more aware of social problems than other kids their age do you ever hear them talking about poverty or helping you know people in need or charities um to their friends do you think that they're almost like spreading the word Hmm. yeah i did i was actually told by Joni's teacher that she um she'd been taking these books the um little people big dreams books into school and I know she'd been taking them in and uh, she'd been like reading them out and then having a little discussion with her friends about you know why it was important and um you know what she what what she thought about this person and um and I think her I think probably they are more they are more socially aware but you know people get into their parents interests don't they and I've you know I studied social policy at university all my jobs have been in social justice and you know it's what I'm interested in I will happily you know sit and read books and um, watch documentaries all day every day if I could it's just you know in the same way that other people are interested in fashion and travel and all those other hugely legitimate interests it's just something I'm like interested in so you you do get into your parents interests I mean Mm. their dad is obsessed with sport so Wilbur has, is now beginning to become obsessed with football. And think, well, yeah, OK, he's taken on one of his dad's interests. So you, you, that happens. Yeah. So I think they do. I mean, Joni, Joni especially, I think it's just in her character. I mean, my mum's a midwife and told Joni exactly how babies are born when she was about four. And she went into nursery and told everyone. And I got texts from the mums like, so... My daughter now knows exactly how babies are born. It's like, oh my god! But you were doing them a favour because it meant that they didn't have to explain it and exactly. have that awkward conversation. It's a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a public service. Yes. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned those books. Um, yes. And the other day in conversation, you mentioned um, a politics. Yes, kids it's this book. one. I have it right here. Let ah. me just. Um, and it's cheap. It's like four ninety nine on Amazon. Usborne Politics for Beginners and one of my friends actually bought it for herself to read because um, after I showed it on stories she messaged saying I've just bought this for myself but um, it is great it just tells in very simplistic terms what things are and at the end there's like a a a page of uh, there's a few questions um, you know why is there war Um, is uh, why why are some people poor what is prison, what's it for, that kind of thing. What is terrorism, uh, am I a feminist? There's all these things. And I think it's fantastic yeah, as it an introduction. Really yeah, I've, I've bought it for 
most children I know. So you'd recommend this? Anyone listening who perhaps yeah. wants a bit of a route into having conversations with their kids about politics and the world, that's that's quite a good mm. way of doing it. Absolutely. Um, definitely. Um, earlier on, you mentioned the conversations that you have with with your children about privilege. Mm. How much... How much do you discuss that with them? Like, how how often do you think how how aware really are they that they are incredibly lucky to be, mm. you know, living a comfortable life with a yeah. roof over their heads and you know, food on the table? Um, it's interesting because I've obviously spoken to them both the same amount. Um, Joni is a lot more aware than um, Wilbur. I think that's just in their character. She she's a lot more aware of other people's emotions and. Um, what's going on around her than he is he's very aware of like lego and food so yeah um (laughs) i don't know um but she certainly but i i also um make them check themselves all the time so um this week we swapped cars with my brother i've got a bigger car so he can drive uh to holiday and um they got into his car they're like oh it's a bit it's a bit small, isn't it? And they were a bit whingy. And I said, right, doesn't that show you how lucky we are to drive around in our car for the rest of the year? This is one week. Sort yourself out. You know, it's so I do try and pull them up as much as possible. But what that actually takes and what that has taken is me checking myself mm. all the time. Because there's always things that we get wrong that we haven't fully worked on in ourselves and in our and I do think having these conversations with children um about the world around them about politics about privilege about um all these social issues and inequalities you can't really do that with any legitimacy unless you've done the work on yourself first so I think actually questioning what you've got how you've got it why and where you are in the world is the first place before you start trying to talk to your kids about it why do you think that's important because i have to say that i reckon it's probably a few years ago now that through conversations with you i first started becoming really aware of my privilege and you know Mm. i I actually i'm ashamed to say i remember a conversation we had where you were talking about um privilege and i was like but i'm I'm where i am because i've worked hard emma and you were like do you remember the conversation (laughs) and i was like but but you know i I, i've worked i've worked hard and i'm you know i'm i'm talented and that's Mm. that that's what and you were like the thing is alison you know you went to university and you know like trying to point out gently where actually i might have been helped along the way I think it's um I think it's really really important. So I was brought up in Windsor which is privileged to the you know extreme. It is a beautiful beautiful lovely town. Um I personally would not like to live there now with my children because it is so um so showy offy white middle class bleh. um not your team. No, it's just not my not my people. But um, my dad um, worked in Slough, and um, I remember once my little brother was being especially spoiled, and um, my dad drove him to visit a friend of his who lived in this estate in Slough, and um, just basically sat him down as a fourteen year old, you know, teenager who didn't care, and just said, "Look around you, you know, 
try and understand what we have. So actually, you know, um, I was brought up by parents, especially my dad, who was, you know, constantly getting me to check my privilege, constantly, constantly, and also to really own it. Like, yeah, I'm incredibly lucky. Mm. You know, I went... Um, the daughter of um, a midwife and a policeman who got lucky in the housing boom of the early 90s but I went to a fairly decent state school I went to a very good university which I would not have got into without the privilege I have you know and I think you I think acknowledging that everything isn't your own hard work we were brought up in a time in an education system where we were told if you work hard enough you can have whatever you want yeah I don't think children are told that anymore but we were certainly told that so actually and actually when you do achieve things you do want to be proud of yourself and it's absolutely fine to have pride in your um achievements that's not uh you know um I was running this morning and I ran the furthest I've ever ran and I, at the end of it, I was like, I am so proud of myself. And that isn't to say I don't understand that just being able to run is a privilege. You know, I get that. But I am proud of myself. Yeah. And you have to find that balance all the time. And, you know, you don't want to put children off working hard at school and that kind of thing. But I think it's about finding that balance and just constantly checking yourself and being aware that it's luck. I mean, um, Tim Minchin absolutely summed it up in the graduation speech he did that's like had millions and millions of views and I go back to that all the time where he basically says you know you've done really well to get here to graduate and those of you who were from good homes and everything else you know thank you to your parents and well done and those of you who had a crap upbringing and everything you were born with a brain that's got you here you didn't do that and you know you just think you didn't you didn't you didn't create that brain your brain was given to you and actually if you can get back to that then coming from that place of kind of humility you know that is where everything should start from that's not to say you shouldn't be proud and you are talented it's just (laughs) i'm I'm glad you got that in there emma because i was was waiting for that no (laughs) no i i think it's a really important conversation to have and i i wish that everyone could have a conversation with you where you make them realize that because it was a real kind of moment for me where i was like oh yeah Mm. okay actually yeah Mm, it's 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 just one of those things it's uncomfortable though isn't it yeah like anything that challenges your opinions but you know all of our opinions should be challenged all the time that's the and I guess there's no point in walking around feeling you know consumed by privileged guilt either absolutely not absolutely not and actually it's you know I I am feel very privileged I know I'm very lucky I still live in a rented house and I'll probably never be able to afford my own home and I still count my pennies and I still you know get to the end of the month and think thank goodness payday's coming but all of those things are privileged yeah and that's not to say um I I you know there aren't struggles but actually I feel a big weight of responsibility that with my privilege I've got to do something I've got to do the work for people who aren't as privileged as I am and actually you know in whatever way that is whatever guise that takes you know guilt is not a way to channel that this kind of enlightened wow yes I've realized I'm privileged feeling bad about it it's quite a self-indulgent thing isn't it it? guilt absolutely so actually channeling it you know turning that into something positive has got to be the the best and that's what I say to my children all the time 
if they if they moan because um, at the weekend we go to first days and do a bit of work, my answer is we're lucky to be doing this. And we're lucky that later I'm, you know, taking you to the cinema or something yeah. really fancy. Like, you know, we're lucky to be here. So I guess it's, it's like acknowledging your privilege, refusing to feel guilty about it. But instead of doing that, actively deciding on things that you can do. So even, yeah. even at, you know, the bare minimum, if that is setting up a new direct debit every month. Absolutely. You know, and donating to your local food bank. Completely. And actually, do you know what? That's not even the bare minimum. That is great. Those are great things to do. You know, and I, I go on about this a lot, but find a local small charity that needs your support and give them a bit of, if you can't give them your time, give them a fiver a month. That means the world to, you know, to small organisations. Um, I guess the big charities must get a lot of people automatically going to them because, the, you know, you have people coming around your yeah. front door asking you to set up direct debits and stopping you on the streets and they're the ones with the TV adverts. Yeah, yeah. So but I guess it must be the small charities that actually, you know... I, yeah, I mean, I don't... I doubt there's anyone in... I get notifications every time someone makes a donation to either one of the two charities and every time it makes me smile. So, you know, I doubt there's someone sitting in, you know, cancer research who has that same feeling. Not that, you know, cancer research is obviously very important. Very, very worthwhile. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's a complete... It's like... Um, it's exactly the same as choosing to buy your meat from your butcher rather than the big supermarket you know it's a it's a consumer choice and that's fine but these are all little things that we can do with our privileged existence that can help brilliant um okay emma i have got some quick fire questions for you because i ask everybody quick fire okay. questions on the uh, on the podcast <clears throat> are you ready uh yes good right so your charity is called first days what's the first thing that you do every day oh it's awful but i just check my phone Every day, just go through all of the social media channels, yeah, and then then I make a cup of coffee, and I just all I hear from everything I ever listen to or read is that you should not check your phone first thing in the morning. We all do it, though, but don't we? I do. We I'll do be it. honest. Yeah, yeah, bad. Mm. I'm the same. Um, what's the last thing that you watched or listened to um, and immediately told someone else that they had to? get involved oh i listened to um a podcast episode there's this um i've got really into reading about people who do ultra marathons and like these crazy sporting things <laughs> there's this american guy called rich roll and he has his podcast and he interviewed this guy called john mcavoy who was a um a criminal like super criminal he he was serving two life sentences in jail and he turned his life around um he's not in jail anymore he got released um on um probation so he'll be on probation for the rest of his life um he broke like two rowing world records in jail obviously on a rowing machine yeah they don't have jails in, <laughs> with rivers i don't think um and he like turned his life around the story is sensational it's like a two hour long podcast episode mm-hmm. but it's worth every minute and i told everyone i know to listen to it listen to it amazing it's very niche but yeah it's it really good. niche but it's a, it's a story about you know turning your life around and criminals and it's all up my alley <laughs> love it um and what's been your most embarrassing parenting moment oh gosh okay most embarrassing oh, i feel like there's so many <laughs> like um oh, i don't even know like wilbur is quite um Wilbur was a really uh, loud and dramatic 
baby and child and he still is so I've had loads of the like him just lying on the floor in the supermarket and absolutely will not get up and um oh I'll tell you what the worst thing was and this makes him look terrible but he was about two perhaps younger than two no younger than two 18 months or something and this guy took pity on us in the supermarket and was helping me I was holding Wilbur under one arm Joni was probably running off playing with knives or something and um this guy was helping us unload the shopping and I turned round to him to say thank you and Wilbur just punched him (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) I was I just and thankfully he was like I have three sons, like, I understand what's yeah. happening here. He was lovely. And I guess, you know, an understanding person was going to be the one helping me with my shopping. Yeah. But I honestly, if I don't know what shade of puce I turned, but I it still it actually just made my stomach turn re- Sorry. retelling that story. That's horrible. Oh. You, you know, it's been a real embarrassing moment when retelling it oh, just makes I feel like you... I'm going red talking about <laughs> it. <laughs> Don't worry, we, we can't see. So, you know, it's, it's a podcast, so good. Um, Emma, thank you so much for being, for being my guest today. Oh, it has been you. really lovely to chat to you. Mm. Thank you very much. Thank you. Big thank you to you for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it's given you a bit of food for thought. As always, please hop over to iTunes where you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast and I'll catch up with you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing I love that Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.